June 27, 2020. It's a lot from Pedro Show.
Live for Pedro Show. Happy Saturday. Last one of June. June is like wailed by. Brother Matt is still, uh, you know, we're quitting quarantine mode, so he's in the love grotto three miles south of here. But I'm not totally man alone mode because of those genius software people in Estonia with their Skype software. I got Brother Schizofuel from Amarillo aboard. Howdy. Welcome aboard. Yeah. Man, we haven't got to talk in a buttload of years. <laughs> it's been many years. Wow. But there was a little stretch there. I think I played two Amarillo gigs within a year or two. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah, three. If, 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 if you count the Brian Denneke thing. Oh, that's right. You Yeah, that's right. I'd forgotten about that. There was, and I think it may, it was probably like three different bands that I played with you. <laughs> of course, you probably had three different bands too. Yeah, it might have been. I know it was a special band for Brian Denneke. It was Bob Lee. It might have been uh, Tom Watson. And it was that place across from the Pemex or some kind of uh, uh, weapons manufacturer thing. It was called the Peace Farm. The Peace Farm. And then another gig was at a, at a Nautica. Uh, Indoor swimming pool thing. Oh, yeah. The, the Nat. Yeah. Right. They, that, yeah. Yeah, that was... That was yeah. I think the band I had taken was Hasman Sori, which we which was just improvisational. I had about fifteen people up there with yeah. noisemakers. Now, supposedly, I think you told me that venue, Little Richard, was arrested at for taking a shirt off at a gig. Yep, and that was verified to me several times since then. Uh, yeah, he he was uh, he was arrested for taking his shirt off. I'm pretty sure that Elvis got hassled by the cops there too. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Uh, it's got quite a storied history. Yeah. Now, the first time I played Amarillo was actually there was a Minuteman gig. Mm-hmm. And, and this lady. Uh, well, meet me. Oh, oh, way, way back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was like either nineteen eighty four, eighty five, and a lady named Pilar was running the place, and oh. there was no PA. D Boone had to sing out of my bass amp. <laughs> That sounds like a whiskey really gig to me, for sure. I can't remember the name of the venue, but I remember the boss lady, and I remember D Boone singing out of the bass amp. Uh, it was probably like the Retina, or I'm trying to remember the name of all those places. There was the Retina. Yeah, there were a bunch of them back then. There were it was like a storefront, probably. Yeah, I thought this was like some kind of bar thing. I can't remember exactly. But anyway, yeah. let's let's go back with you and your journey of music. What's your earliest musical recollection? Uh, earliest musical recollection. Man, that would be that would probably be driving around in a old Mitsubishi truck with my dad and I'm embarrassed to say that it was probably John Denver. Okay. But but I, it, that that's as far back as I can probably remember, you know, that wasn't Sesame Street, you know, or something, <laughs> <laughs> which was probably more of an influence than John Denver, honestly. But it's but, funny yeah. because a couple of years ago, I finally got to play in China and they were telling me that the first quote rock unquote was John Denver that these guys heard like in the in the late 80s, early 90s. Oh wow! Is that trip, yeah. So wow, you know, these yeah. kind of things. Brother Skits, I think we don't choose; they just happen. 
Yeah. Well, especially over there, you don't. It just <laughs> sneaks but in. Even, even with your pop in that truck, I mean, it yeah. came on the radio, right? So Yeah. But if you remembered it, it, it left some kind of brand on your brain. Oh, that seared me, you know, and, and it was downhill from there. I, you know, especially from where I'm from, it was mostly Willie Nelson and uh, Waylon Jennings. Well, he's know. down the interstate from you guys in Lubbock, right? Uh, yeah, Waylon Jennings is a Lubbock guy. Yeah. Yep. I just yep. played there this last tour. Ooh, that was a character yeah. builder. <laughs> 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 it was the same, like, pool place I played – uh, not swimming pool, not a gnat thing, but more like pool tables. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. in 2002, I think, when I last with uh, you guys, or 2004 or something. But, uh, oh, I should tell people we started off the show with uh, John Coltrane and Miles Davis doing Round Midnight, and then Schizophrenia with Texas Kung Fu Master. Oh. So, uh, well, what I'm, I'm trying to say, I'm, we have cats on the show that uh, they can remember shit when they're two and three. And, <laughs> Other other yeah. ones, they're like late teenagers. The first music thing they remember was like in the marching band and shit. So, so you know, there's no, it's supposed to be no hard questions and there's no wrong answers with this kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. for sure. Okay, so in, in your pad that you grew up in, it was there, right, Amarillo? Uh, yeah, yeah, for the okay. most part, you know, and strangely enough, I, I did live in Lubbock for a short period of time when I was a kid. Okay, but, in the Wayback Machine, uh, mm-hmm. inside the pad you grew up, was there musical instruments? You know, I remember my dad having a banjo in a closet when I was probably, you know, I don't know, nine, eight, eight, nine years old, but it never came out. Uh, I didn't start, I technically didn't start playing guitar until I was, well, I started playing guitar when I was about 14, but I didn't own one until I was 20. What about school? Did you do the marching band shit or choir? No, okay. no, no. I was too busy skipping class and yeah, chasing yeah. skirts back then. <laughs> you know, Joe Biza, a sacred trust guitar man, he didn't start guitar till he was 27. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of weird stories like that. Uh, from the metal side of things, I, I'm pretty sure that Zach Wilde didn't start playing until he was 23. 22 it was his mid-20s which you know he's one of the most accomplished uh, you know i I mean he's not a very good guy i wouldn't say but but as far as guitar playing is concerned in the the metal world he's he's like one of the best but no i would say that he's the cat who got killed in that plane wreck right who's uh zach wilde yeah no he's still around oh who uh, am i thinking of who's the guy who played for ozzy yeah that's zach wilde is he dead there was a plane, and somebody was fucking around, and they actually crashed in front of the, everybody in the, the, the tour bus and shit. Oh, no, that was, uh, I know who you're talking about. That, yeah, that was, uh, that was the, that was the Randy original. Randy Rhodes. Yeah, that was Randy Rhodes, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. That guy was probably born with a guitar in his hand. He, yeah, because I was going to say that guy could play, but I think Zach Rhodes, I've heard some stuff with him, he can play. Oh, yeah. But, Zach but, Rhodes. uh. Oh, here's another example. Vincent, uh, you know, the painter, only last yes. 10 years of his life. He never painted as a kid. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That dude ended yeah. up doing like 5,000 self-portraits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in the same vein, I remember learning uh, as a young kid in school, you know, Grandma Moses. Oh, right, right. 
You know, she didn't start. I don't think she was. I think she was in her late seventies when yeah, she started. Yeah. So stuff. you know, a great man once said, "No wine before it's time." Yeah. No joke. Well, let's let's hope. Let's so, hope that okay. works for everybody. So you were playing guitar, but not on your own. How did that happen? Uh, just hanging out, you know, I had friends who had guitars, uh, I had a good, uh, real good friend of mine when I was in uh, junior high, middle school, whatever it was back then, uh, his dad had been in bands in the 60s, and he had, he, he had given his son, uh, this is my buddy Chris, uh, all his stuff, you know, and uh, he had a bass rig, and it, it, to this day, it's the largest cabineted speaker I have ever seen, and <laughs> And we would literally break his mother's dishes by plugging everything in. But and and it 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 it, it got it got its hooks in me at that point because I was like, "This is power," you know. So you, can... a- you actually got on the bass? No, it was a bass rig, but we played guitars through it. We played six strings. Through you know, it. one of the f- most famous guitar solos through a bass rig. What? Steely Dan, oh, really? Steely Dan reeling in the years. Oh wow! Okay, and that makes Elliot sense. Randall. There was no fucking guitar amp in the studio, <laughs> so he had to use the SVT turned up. You know the three hundred watts, eight ten yeah. all the way. And Jimmy Page <laughs> said it was his favorite guitar song. It was two takes because the engineer forgot to hit record on the first one. Oh man! And all he Oop. said, all that Donald Fagan directed him was. Feel the blues. Yeah, yeah. So you can hear him kind of going with the piano riff, you know, and then he goes off. But that's through a fucking bass amp. Crazy. Anyway, not, yeah. Not, not well, to get too much tangent. One of the, <laughs> one of the bands that I, I, you know, was a big influence when when I really started, you know, playing in bands uh, was Caius, uh, Mar- Josh Homme, sure. uh, Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, Scott those Reader, guys. great bass man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that I, I'm pretty sure that when Caius first started, that's all they ever used were were uh, were bass rigs for everything. Because there was you you had to you had to to really hunt out the treble in those recordings. <laughs> Greg King got into fifteens. He I think he read somewhere Tony Iommi used fifteens. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, actually, it was a jazz thing too. Old Fender Pros had fifteens. Uh, oh, what was the first uh, record you bought? Yourself, Moskis. First record I ever bought. Man, I hadn't thought about this stuff in ages. Uh, it would have to have been, I think it was a Cars album. All right, some wave. It, yeah, I think I think it was a Cars album. I think it was uh, probably. Yeah, I don't I don't remember which one. I, if I searched in my memory bank long enough, I could find the album cover, but I don't think I could find the the title. <laughs> But yeah, it was probably a Cars album. And I then, was really uh, into those guys. And then, yeah, it was the bass man, right? He sang most of those. Uh, yep. f- first gig you went and saw? First gig I ever went to see. First gig was, oh, that was probably ZZ Top. Whoa, okay. Yeah, that was a ZZ Top. And then I went, I know that I went straight from ZZ Top to. Uh, who did I go see that changed everything after that? Because you know you go you go to a, a an arena show, quote unquote, with a with a very popular mainstream band like ZZ Top, and somebody else asks you to go to a gig, and you go. And uh, who did we see? Ah, uh, uh, seven seconds. Oh, seven seconds. Kevin uh, Sacto band. 
Yeah. Actually, yeah. actually, they weren't. They were Skino, and then he moved to Sacktown. But they were gotcha. a Reno band, yeah, because I played in a in a basement, kind of a skate scene. Those guys came out of Guts and oh. Skins, and was the name of the record or something. His brother was on the on bass, Steve. Gotcha. Yeah, I think it, Kevin's still around doing like acoustic in Sacktown. Yeah, uh, first gig that me that I went to was with D Boone was T Rex. Oh wow! Everybody says that. <laughs> Wow. Everybody I tell that to says that. I know, it was just pure luck. You know, I just, it was $2.50 at the Long Beach Auditorium. Next one was a Blue Oyster Cult, same place, same amount. Oh, nice. So Man, back to back. back. But we saw ZZ Blow Away Aerosmith. And, and you know, for oh, Arena yeah. Rock, they were kind of stripped down. This is before the pink cowboy hats and shit. And, yeah. And the snake and the cow. Yeah. <laughs> they just got out there, and Frank had the little drum set. I finally got to meet them at Stooges gigs. All three, really. Uh, the Two of them, Frank and Dusty, were Dallas, and Billy's uh, Houston. And good guys. Yeah, yeah, I... I... I met uh, I met Billy one time. I don't remember what the function was, but yeah, he just was really just you know really down to earth, yeah, really cool open. They can, they can still play too. They had some other stuff going. They're a trio. They don't have side mice, but some of the machines, some of the, yeah. some of the legs and shit. Yeah, kind of sequencer. But man, sure. they can, good cats and uh, especially the Trace Hombres and Fandango had big effect on us. Like one side wow. of Fandango was live. Yeah. 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 When I was in, when I was in the uh, middle, yeah, Fandango, that whole first side of that record was pretty amazing. Right. Has uh, a big, big medley, right? Get high, everybody, get high. <laughs> yeah. yeah so good. It's yeah. Good. I believe, yeah. When I was in, when I was in high, middle school, the, there were, there was a group of us, and each of us, for what, and it didn't, we didn't plan it out. This thing, I mean, it almost sounds like we did, but each of us had, like, uh, and that was, you know, that was cassette tapes back then. Sure. And, and uh, each of us had our own thing, and it wasn't necessarily our favorite band, but it just sort of worked out. And then as time went on, we we kept going with it. I had every single ZZ Top recording, uh, released recording, and then another friend had ACDC recordings, and then the other guy had uh, oh, who was the other one that we had uh, Zeppelin, which I, you know that was a lot. That was a lot fewer tapes. <laughs> but but yeah, with our whole group, just sort of we we you know, we went over to this guy's house. That's what we listened to over there, and then we go to this guy's house. We listen over there. But yeah, I had all those easy top albums. I love those guys. Even even the, the corny, you know, campy. When they came stuff. back, yeah, when it came back with the sunglasses and yeah, TV dinners and all those kinds. Oh, of Oh right, because they're early with the video shit. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And the Way car, early. the the car and the ladies, and yeah, much different, yeah. much different. Yeah. Um, in fact, the Tush. I think that's Dusty singing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yep. You had a band early on called Thick. I want to play SNM. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, for Pedro show. Yeah, we started that chunk of music off with Thick doing SNM. Is SNM an acronym? Uh, yeah, that is a strange little tune and story behind the name of the song. Along with uh, Thick, you know, there, there was a, we recorded that album at a place called Amp Studios. Shout out to Drew Holder and Amarillo at Amp Studios. And he was in a bunch of punk bands back when I, you know, he was 10 years older than me. But but when we finally, when it came time, you know, during the late 90s and whatnot, he was actually our first drummer, Thick's first drummer. But he had just started his own recording studio. And several years after he'd gotten this thing going, we accidentally started a, a an improv group called Sunday Night Midnight, SNM. Oh, right. And, uh, Sunday night, and every line in that song, that, that thick song, is actually the title of a Sunday night midnight song. Okay. <laughs> so it's a it's a strange little jigsaw puzzle of, of stuff sure. there. Yeah, but then, yeah, we used to call that asshole jazz Sunday night midnight because if <laughs> if you if you if you uh, promoted it as jazz, the people who showed up just thought you were assholes. <laughs> <laughs> And then we heard Kay Salida, that's uh, Kay from Black Flag with Bass Wars, uh, Pat Ruther Smear from The Germs with on a little-known solo record. It's really bitching, though. He did the late 80s. Called Princess, uh, Thorn Friends, out of Austin with Swimming with Stein, uh, The Magnet Hearts, Complicated Cats. It's Jonathan Hall's new trip. Dietrich and Barnes, uh, John Dietrich from Deerhoof, uh, Tim Barnes, great cat, uh, Parasol Gigante, and Deerhoof's got a new album, which, uh, yeah, John Dietrich, Oh Ye Saddle Babes, and finally, Special Privileges from Thick. So, yeah. how did Thick get together? Uh, well, I was telling you about Drew Holder, uh, he he had started his studio, and I, I was itching I, I, to start a band, and nobody... I knew all the musicians in town, uh, but everybody, you know, Emerald is kind of a, it's a small, it was a much smaller scene back then, and if you were in one band, you were in two bands, and if you were in two bands, there's a pretty good chance you were in three bands, and at the time that I tried to jump in, it just wasn't anybody available that was worth playing with, you know, uh -huh. and, but Drew had started his studio, and he had kind of dropped out of all the, the bands he was working with. And just for the heck of it, he just said, yeah, sure, let's let's do a band. And I gathered up some other guys from some other groups that had been uh, kicking around. And uh, we had a singer at that time. So there were five, four of us. And it just started, we started out, luckily enough, that our practice spot was a recording studio. And it, we... We we started out. It was a you know you know how things grow. You, you, you it becomes something completely different than what you planned. Uh, I think that's, but you know that's eventually the, thick. What's that? I think that's called the law of unintentional consequences. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> You're not joking. We eventually became the band that nobody in town would go see except the other musicians, which made the crowds really small, but. They were pretty into it. <laughs> yeah, like Minuteman. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, in the old days, I think there was a lot. There was there were people who were into the movement, and then all the rest. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. was a small scene. Even in Hollywood, I mean, it was the same hundred faces every weekend. 
believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. So I think a lot of things kind of start small. Uh, but Thick went on, and you guys probably did the outfit since Drummer Man was the recording man. That's where these recordings, and you guys ended up doing an album, right? What was the first gig like? I should ask you about that. <laughs> the first gig we ever played. Well, we kind of there was a, there were there were two other bands in town. There was there was actually Drew Holder, uh, that drummer recording guy I was telling you about. He they he had been in a band with his brother, and they were and the other guys in that band were brothers as well, and they were called Brothers Grimm. And they did some touring. They recorded an album in L.A. I don't remember the name of the... We continue next hour, because we're at the end of the first hour. June 27, 2020, Dishwap special guest gets a fuel. Hold tight for hour two. June 27, 2020, it's the second hour of the Watt for Pedro show. The uh, studio, or the label, they got on the label, I don't remember what it was, but anyway... Uh, Luke Holder was Drew's brother, and he had a gig at a place called The Golden Light in Amarillo, which at that time was mainly a, a, a Texas country type, you know, venue. But you know, I mean, you could sneak in some rock and roll every once in a while. And there was another band on the, on this bill, this particular show, uh, called The Humans, and they were actually doing some national tours at that time. So this seemed like it was going to be a pretty good gig. And we snuck on there. We talked them into letting us go. Well, here we were. It's our first gig. Uh, we are completely different from anybody else on the, on the ticket. Uh, we put out a flyer. And this flyer was all tongue-in-cheek, you know. It was all just kind of goofy. You know, so that's that old punk rock stuff, you know. Sure. Uh, where where you're you're kind of down you're 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 making jokes at your own expense, uh, you know, sort of thing. I, I'm trying to remember all the lines. We we made up a bunch of fake media quotes and put it on a flyer and plastered the town with them. Uh, well, the owner of the Golden Light saw one of these things and he hated it and he wanted us to go th- through town and get rid of all these flyers. And we we're like, well, no, there's no way we're going to do that. And he m- kept making a big deal about it and he wanted us off of the bill. Well, then the other bands on that on that ticket kept they start the the other two just slowly dropped off of the, the the thing, and I don't know how to explain this to you. There was another group. I think well, actually I think Luke was out of the show and then he was back in the show because if we if he wasn't in the show then there obviously wasn't going to be a gig. So he just went ahead for our sake. He went ahead and stayed on, played the gig. Well. Because the owner had made such a big deal about this flyer, uh, you know, we were quoting like Billy Graham saying, you know, I'd rather soul kiss Satan than go to a thick show, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, 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 but so we decided to make a, a really big deal out of this first gig of ours that had already created a, a little bit of publicity because the owner of the Golden Light, the Golden Light, hated us already without even hearing us. So we dressed up in all these wacky costumes. It was just absolutely ridiculous. Things that just didn't happen at the Golden Light. And I could tell you 50 different stories about that one night. But my favorite one is the bass player, Mick. He, he had a sundress on and he had shaved his entire head. I mean, eyebrows and everything. Yeah. He had shaved his whole head, had a sundress on. And underneath, on his, you know, his junk, yeah. he had this argyle sock hanging down. From his stuff, and throughout the entire show, he would lift this dress up 
while we're just rocking out and show everybody this Argyle sock, and people were going nuts. Well, eventually, I'm sitting over here playing, and I look down on the stage, and that Argyle sock is sitting on the stage. <laughs> so at some point, yeah. it became a very pornographic show. <laughs> but, but yeah, they tried to shut us down. The, the owner went through the crowd and was asking people, are you here to drink, or are you here to watch this junk? And, of course... You know, everybody's going to say the same thing. Is like, I, you know, both. I don't know. You know, <laughs> so you couldn't Weird quite shut dude. the show down. But that was our very first gig, for okay, sure. Okay, now that dude ain't running the club anymore, is he? No, he's not. He sold out. I mean, and and, and I'll yeah, tell you what. Yeah, because this is where I was going to play with the uh, Mike Baguetta a few months ago, right? Yeah, the Golden Light. Now, you know, I, I got to hand it to this guy who who picked. See, the Golden Light is the longest, and it's still, a, yeah, the longest continuously open and running, uh, and I don't know how the whole COVID thing has affected that this record, I, I, don't, I don't know, uh, restaurant, it may even be establishment on Route 66, and he, he, at one time, it was just kind of a shotgun, you know, greasy spoon restaurant on a storefront, well, he bought the place next to him and opened it up as a, as a venue, you know, and that was back in the late 90s. And he turned it into a very prestigious, as far as the, you know, Texas country, you know, that whole sort of out new new wave of outlaw country stuff. Uh, very prestigious venue. I mean, everybody who's anybody that you, you can think of in that genre has had played the Golden Light. And then uh, he, he did it, but he just sort of lost interest. And he saw, and then Angela Corpening, who I was, she was my roommate. You, you slept on her couch. Uh, 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 the second men, I think, is when yeah, you guys came yeah. through. I think I had uh, a little bourbon helping me. <laughs> yeah, uh, she eventually bought the place, uh, and uh, she still got it. They're still going, uh, but uh, but yeah, he 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 got out a long time ago. Back mm, it was it's it's been almost fifteen, sixteen years. Well, Carmel Wales.
When he divided high and low You got to bury the seed in the earth, my friend If you expect that thing to grow Isn't that so? Isn't that so? You gotta go where your heart says go Isn't that so? Line of least resistance Lead me on Lead me on Line of least resistance Lead me on Didn't he know what he was doing When he made the magic vine His own son got a reputation For turning water into wine Now isn't that so? Isn't that so? You got to go where your heart says go Isn't that so? Perdiendo este afecto imperfecto, haberte bailado el agua. 
igual nadar entre lava en haber sido más valiente la pena se habría adueñado de mí eternamente seguramente
show start off the second hour with dad burn schizofuel notice it ain't thick we'll get to that tripod <laughs> jimmy long walk off a short pier from cleveland actually they were living in the city at the time yeah tom herman i'm doing a project with him right now tell me those were the days when he rode his motorcycle uh, peter lochner after that old days of cleveland isn't that so uh them with uh Malfesis. Them. <laughs> and skits fuel mailbox baseball. <laughs> uh, so so what what ended up happening with thick? It ran its course, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you it just yeah, it ran its course. We, I, I, I got I got honestly, Mike, I got really really sick of lugging the cabinets around, and <laughs> uh, it. I mean, I I love playing on the road i do but it was just getting too much uh it, it the the lifestyle was starting to really wear on me there at the end of it okay what about the schizo fuel record it's beautiful how'd that happen uh well you know i recorded it that for the first album called ghost of the golden light uh-huh. uh the the first album it took me four years to record that and thick was thick was still heavy you know it was still my main project at the time, and uh, I just intermediate, intermittently re- recorded an album. And uh, by the time it was done, uh, Thick was done, and the the my my day job was done. <laughs> uh, I had a, had a work for a, a, a 
a company that sold solar panels and all kinds of stuff by you know, retail and it just went under and I was basically out of money and homeless and I just grabbed this album and took off on the road and uh, that the rest is history. I spent the next four, four, four and a half years sleeping in the back of a Ford Ranger playing, playing music. A four year tour. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, but I wasn't. But I wasn't lugging nine hundred pound. No, cap. no, no. Yeah, understood. <laughs> understood about that. Uh, you know, they make littler bass stuff now. Yeah, but it wouldn't have mattered to my bass player. <laughs> it wouldn't have mattered. No, he he'd have put lead weights in them just to make them happy. <laughs> Here, I, I want to play uh, Haltom's Diamonds, Third and Main. There you go. Find me on the corner of 
Thank you. 
what do they call it? Oh man, I'm I'm total brain fart. Uh, it abandoned a box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I just bought one of those. Uh, uh, it's the huge company that digital something six. Line six. I, line six. Yeah. Sorry, I love that. An HD four hundred line six pedal, and just plugged into the PA's. I mean, I could go to a gig with but all of my equipment in both hands. You know. <laughs> That's that how beautiful. you do a four-year tour. Let's, <laughs> let's tell the people what they Haltum's Diamonds, it must have been a name of a pad, a jewelry store? Uh, well, I, when I was on the road, uh, you know, uh, when, I, when I released that, that first album, my plan was to do a kind of, uh, you know, old school, uh, real old school trick where... I was the, you know, the singer front guy, front man guy, and I would be the one who traveled, but I'd have a band in basically these little regions that I would just go grab them and we'd do those oh, little gigs yeah. and I'd move down the road. Right, um, right. And when I was in Fort Worth, I had a band called uh, 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 The Beautiful Trainwreck with a bunch of really good guys. Uh, but on, on the side, uh, at night, uh, if I could get away with it in certain towns, I would go out and I'd busk. And honestly, I would make more money busking. And it was more musically rewarding than anything I ever did on stage. I mean, I, that's the truth. <laughs> okay. uh, but but yeah, and there was a it's not there now. They've they've uh, completely redone downtown Fort Worth now. But uh, the, the, I mean, it, the, the, the jewelry store is there now still. But Haltham's Diamonds was a jewelry store in downtown. Is a jewelry store in downtown Fort Worth, and there was there were actual streets then. There's not now, but I would go to that corner. It was just it happened to be my corner. Every once in a while, I'll have to run some whack job evangelical off of there, off the corner. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I uh, I would make man, I'd make eighty to ninety bucks a night. Damn. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, but but it was. That the song itself is, uh, you know, the same old story, old, you know, I think it's about my ex-wife. <laughs> but, but I, I thought was it was like going to be like you know, uh, that, that Creedence song, Lodi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Because that's kind of the band song, right? But the ex-wife song, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of those, too. Yeah. Uh, we heard Round Eye, uh, Umo Mondero, that's, uh, yeah, the modern man in Italian, because the bass man sings that. These guys, they're... They're low white guys, but they've lived in Shanghai for a bunch of years, and they came to Pedro, and that produced their album. Chalsons after that with Fuzz Bat too. That's Howie Reeve in France because he can't get to England right now. Water Damage, uh, Dan Klukas, Jeb Bishop, D Damon Smith, Matt Crane. These are friends of Joe Biza. In fact, Joe Biza did the artwork for their new record. Crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of a, uh, like uh, maybe like your. Uh, what was that asshole jazz kind of thing? <laughs> and then the schizo fuel with uh, go with God, topless shoe shine. Yeah, yeah, that's a Joe Henry cover. Yeah, uh, yeah. Weird story behind that for sure. <laughs> uh, I I got to tell you the story. Um, bring it, bring it. Uh, I was trying to get the mechanical rights to this song. It's a Joe Henry song, and I loved it, you know. And I was able to kind of turn it into more of a country rock song. And I was trying to get the mechanical rights, and I couldn't find who owned the song, uh, you know, or what, wh or where I went to to apply for. It. And I and I found this uh, this web page back then that said Maverick Records, or not Maverick. It wasn't Maverick Records or something. No, maybe it was Maverick Records. That's well, I Madonna. called them up, and they 
That's What's Madonna's that? label. Yeah. Freddie but, DeMann ran it. Her, her manager ran it. Remember that candle box that kind of alternative thing was on there? Yeah. Well, that's all kind of part of the story is oh, that I, I called them up and I asked them, how do I get these rights? And they gave me a phone number. And I call the phone number and this lady answers. And it, it's not like, you know, hey, this is such and such office, you know, uh, how, how do you do? It was just a hello. And I said, I'm trying to get the rights to uh, uh, Topless Shoeshine by Joe Henry. And she calls out, like covers the phone and calls out through, you know, hey, it's for you. And this guy picks up the phone and goes, uh, this is Joe. I had called the dude's house. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, crazy. So he goes, yeah, man, uh, here's the person you send stuff to, uh, you know, and ask me, you know, what, how am I recording it? Blah, blah, blah. It's a little bit of little bit of conversation and he let me go and we hung up and then I it dawned on me the later on you know about 10 minutes later it wasn't that I had just talked to Joe Henry one of my favorite songwriters it wasn't that I had just talked to Joe Henry I had just talked to his wife he is married to Madonna's sister I was I was freaking out more than I had just talked to Madonna's sister <laughs> than I had to Joe Henry oh man that's great beautiful yeah. look we're at the end of the second hour uh, June 27, 2020, just what Peter Strode, special guest, gets a fuel hat. Hold tight for hour three. June 27, 2020, it's the third hour of the lot for Pedro. Show. Are we going? One, two, three, four. Hello? One, two, three,
Carlos Caliente. Thunder Riggs. Across the table, 
Watch for Pedro Show. Start third hour off with Whiskerilla from Schizofuel. Crane with Dreaming of Utopia after that. Up my to hoe you to pimp. Zola Jesus, Siphon. Joe Brewer out of Madison. That's Jack Brewer from Sacred Trust, singer's cousin. Creativity and Madness. He wrote a tune on Double Nickels on a Dime, the word. You know, we had to write so many tunes to catch up with the Hooskers that we had to borrow people's words. And I think it was called, <laughs> yeah, don't please don't be gentle with me or something like that. that so thank you, uh, Joe Brewer. And then finally, Schizo Fuel with Nancy Taco. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a pretty dangerous song these days. Yeah, it's kind of realistic these days. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, after four years of torn, what happened? I can kind of guess, but oh yeah, I well, I came back to to Amarillo just to chill for. I was going to chill here for about four or five months, and I just wound up staying. You know, I wound up uh, playing music with a bunch of people, and uh, I uh, I. At, at almost the same time that I had planned on leaving, I, I wound up st- getting back into one of the things I used to do when I was a kid was write, write stories, write books. And yeah. I kind of haven't stopped. Yeah. In fact, it's beautiful. I love your writing, man. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. You got your own we- website with like kind of dedicated to your writing. Uh, give yeah. I mean, it's you- just kind of a, it's just, just a, it's it's just a website for my writing, yeah. I mean, I I, I push a few of the yeah, books. Yeah, but at here. least it's yours. It ain't just something on Fake Look or Shitter or Instant Ham, you know. Yeah, man. If I could get off of those things, I would. I well, would. you could like the you could staple it, you know? up your flyers on those telephone posts, but at least you have your home base. And so, yeah. can you give people the URL for that? Uh, it's just ofuel.com. Just uh, the oh. same way you'd think it is. Just o f u e l dot or not dot com. <laughs> it's dot us ofuel dot us yes yes i was going to say because we don't want to lead these people astray but <laughs> but what about music have you thought about going back to it i you know mike i i i i, I think about it a lot it it uh when it when it's when it's good for me it's good for me and then other times i just I, I, it's the last thing I want to think about. I, I, one of my jokes is that music is stupid and, and it kind <laughs> of is that it's just vibrations, you know, it's just, it's just tones, but then I'll hear a song by somebody else that's new yeah. or I'll hear, hear a song that I haven't listened to in, you know, many, many years. And then you go, Oh yeah, that's what music does. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got this tune I want to play called Light the Fuse, and that's the feeling I get. You know, get lit. Yeah.
something weird with that pool stick? Excuse me, what's your name? Shannon. Where are you from again? Alabama? show last music for this edition we had schizophil doing light the fuse and then few doing cheers out of tokyo and finally hannah schizophil <laughs> so uh look music uh writing songs performing songs four-year tours albums that's a form of expression you writing literature you know, you got a book out. We didn't talk about the book, right? Yeah, yeah, I've got a book out right now uh, called uh, "River of Blood," and uh, it's a it's a deeply I I you know I hate saying this stuff. It, it it embarrasses me, but it's a it's a deeply literary crime novel. Uh, but but yeah, it's out right now. You can get it at Amazon. "River of Blood," Schizofuel, or just O Fuel, I guess I'm using. Uh, and when but, you yeah. when you say a heavy crime like James Elroy, uh, actually one of the one of the editorial reviews I just got compared me to James Elroy. Yeah, I read yeah. four of his books. He has something called the L.A. Quartet. So, uh, Black Dahlia, Big Nowhere, Hollywood yeah. Confidential, White Jazz. Yeah, yeah, those. Yeah, Black Dahlia was amazing. That kind of got it started off right. Yeah, for sure. And he, yeah. he had some other Requiem for Brown and stuff like that. But those are the four, and I really liked it. And then uh, yeah, it kind of dropped off. But, man, his writing, it seemed, as he went through, got more and more clipped, more and more econo with the verbiage. It was very interesting to see him develop. The, and also, you know, I've lived in California now 54 years, so, uh, yeah, it's not Virginia. <laughs> but it was interesting to read about and so do you figure Amarilla into your right um yeah you know most of my uh in 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 a way in a way the culture certainly is there the uh the strange bible belt uh hypocrisy is all in there um yeah yeah certainly it it, it it's uh you know, you've been here. You know, there is no landscape. Uh, you, the, it's so flat out here. You can see the back of your head out there on the horizon. So, it, it, uh, most of the landscape here is in the people. You know, and in the politics, and the, and uh, it, it, it's a strange place. 
where people keep uh, they keep a lot of themselves hidden and you know behind uh, just uh, you know I, ideologies and whatnot. It's just a it's just a really weird place. But I don't ever try. I don't I don't think I've ever really mentioned Amarillo by name. Most of, in most of my writing, I, I, it's it's unnamed places anyway. I just find that that you know as much mystery as you can leave in a story, the sure. better. And most of the time, when like if you live in L.A. or you live in New York or or, or Seattle, you know those places have it, there's a reason to, to to write stories about those places because they are a character in themselves, you know. Uh, but uh, as far as where I'm at, uh, it. it I, I, I just feel like you can write these type, the types of stories that I write can be can can happen anywhere uh, because this is anywhere and nowhere all at the same time. <laughs> you know, there's but, a west part of your town called Wild Dorado, and just just west of that is something called the oh, Cadillac Ranch. Uh, yeah, it's actually uh, well, yeah, it's actually in between Amarillo. Wilderita would be west of Cadillac Ranch. Oh, I pronounced it. I pronounced it wrong. It's in no, between. You're, yeah, well, the Cadillac you know. Ranch is in between Wilderado and Amarillo. Yeah, it's easy to mispronounce stuff from here because I mean, there's a place called Miami about 80 miles north of here that's called my that's pronounced Miami. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but what, I, what, what the point was being, besides my fuck up with geography, is how did such an artistic? I got a piece of paint. From one of those cars that I, I have on the dash of the boat, held on with Velcro. Yeah. How did something that artistic get going there? Well, that was all uh, part of the the uh, Dynamite Museum, uh, which was started by a guy named Stanley Marsh the Third. Yeah. Yeah, and Stanley Stanley was a, a a perfect example of how this place can produce insanity, like just pure insanity out of out of almost just a speck of nothing out here. And a lot of my friends, uh, a lot of the punk scene in Amarillo uh, was connect. He didn't like, he wasn't a big fan of music and he wasn't a big fan of quote unquote, the punk scene or the, or any scene really. But because of the nature of what he did, which was uh, uh, it, it, he he created surprise art. Uh, the, yeah, along you know, Cadillac Ranch is a straight back then. I mean, t- now it's a it's an American you know icon. It, it it's a it's, it's a people anybody coming down I forty is going to stop at Cadillac Ranch. Uh, but but back in the day, uh, the seventies and the eighties, it was just a bizarro thing to see on the side of the road. And if you drive, and still to this day, if you drive through Amarillo, uh, there are what in the shape of a caution sign, you know, like a wet road sign, you know, that, that diamond shaped sign, yep. uh, all through Amarillo there, there are, are just strange signs in people's yards and parking lots. Yeah, he yeah. started that. That's, that's dynamite museum. It all started from there. My buddy Cadillac, Cadillac Fraff was in his crew for a little bit. Uh, there were, uh, just a lot of some, a lot of the guys that I played music with uh, were were part of his crew uh, that did did art that way. I just want to bring that up because you know Sly Stone said something. It's not where you're from; it's where you're at. Yeah, and so for sure. And, and so, yeah, you don't have to have the name of a big town or the name of a little town, or you even say the name of the town wrong. It's it's just expression, right? 
I mean, yeah. would, would that be your, your advice, a guy traveling between the music and literature world? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's the thing is, it, it, yeah, if I, if I wasn't able to express myself in some sort of artistic way, I just, I would drive, it would drive me crazy. I don't know how long I could, could uh, sustain, you know, and, and I know people, I, I know people who get up every morning and go do the, the nine to five and they go home and they watch their four hours of TV and life is beautiful. You know, they, they cook out their hot dogs and I, I love those people and I can see the allure behind, you know, relaxing, you know, into that. But I cannot stand it for very long. I, I have to, I have to do something. I, I, and I, I just, I'm sure just like, I'm sure the same way, you know, you yeah, we're cursed. Around in your Brother head. skits were cursed. Yeah, it is a curse. It feels like a curse, for sure. <laughs> Look, it's been a huge honor to have you aboard. Look, even if you don't come out with a record soon and you write another book, will you come back on the show and we can talk about it? That sounds great, Mike. I, I really appreciate it. I, I was really humbled to, to, for you to ask me to come on here. Well, I this, appreciate it. The whole idea of this show is about people like you, man. You make it really important to me. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Mike. Okay, brother. People, it's been June 27th. This is Waffle Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry.